Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Right before they decided to do this, somebody in the game day staff said, we toss a chunk of dry ice in there. When they open up the Zan, there's going to be a little poof of smoke. That'll be really cool. We're like, neato. Mark Roberts says, ladies and gentlemen, your new mascot will be debuted at Center Ice. Please welcome Stormy. There was this huge buildup of just watch this. This is going to be great. And I remember when they, that Zamboni opened up and there is a pig being roasted on the Zamboni. Chuck mutes his microphone in mid-sentence and says to me, is the guy dead? Let's be honest. It's one of the best uniforms ever. And the reason I love it is it feels like for one night a year, even though it's 700 miles away, it feels like for one night a year we have our team back. For me, there's still a lot of hurt there for the Whalers fans that, you know, losing the team. And, and I think if everybody was to watch the last game that we ever played there, there was a lot of tears. Welcome to the Canes Corner Podcast with your host, Adam Gold. The Canes Corner Podcast is a part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. And now, here's Adam. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the 25th anniversary Canes Corner Podcast special. A look back at the franchise as it moved from Hartford, Connecticut to Raleigh, North Carolina, with that brief layover in Greensboro. I'm Adam Gold. Over the next half hour, nothing at all about the exit from Hartford. (laughs) Nothing. The reasons why the team landed in Raleigh, what they found when they got here, or the unique challenges they faced across all levels of the organization. In other words, this episode isn't at all about the move. But we are going to have a little fun. In segment two, the day, or days, the Whalers returned, well, their uniforms returned, because you remember that in the 2018-19 season, the Canes donned those spectacular green Whalers threads for a pair of games against the Boston Bruins. But we're going to begin today with the day the Hurricanes nearly killed their mascot. Wait, what? Yes. If you don't know, if you weren't one of the people who traced their fandom all the way back to Greensboro, you might not know that Stormy's debut was this close to being a tragedy. A bit of context here, then I'm going to do something a bit unusual and read a news story from the event. Remember, everything about year one in Greensboro was on the fly. Seat of your pants kind of stuff. With just four months from announcement to the start of training camp, there just wasn't enough time to think everything through. There was also a fair amount of kind of extra enthusiasm, if you will, over the arrival. And that definitely played a role in what happened the day they unveiled Stormy, sort of. 
So prior to a preseason game in Greensboro against the Red Wings, the team planned to reveal their new mascot. What followed was an utter mess. But rest assured, no mascots were irreparably harmed in the making of this podcast. So allow me to read from the Greensboro News and Record and reporter at the time, Scott Meshaw, who covered that game in September. The Hurricanes promised their new mascot would be appealing to kids. Its unveiling turned into a frightening disaster as the mascot suffered a seizure at center ice while stuffed in the Zamboni. It's a great opening paragraph, Scott. Thank you. Phil Madron suffered a seizure during the ceremony preceding the Hurricanes preseason game against Detroit at the Greensboro Coliseum and was taken to the emergency room at Wesley Long Memorial Hospital, where he was treated and released late Tuesday. Medical personnel treating Madron at the Greensboro Coliseum said his seizure may have been triggered by heat and lack of air. Madron, 32, was wearing a thick, furry suit that represents a hog. (laughs) It must have been such a great time to just write that. The Hurricanes introduced the mascot before face-off with Madron stuffed into the large container chamber of the Zamboni, which collects the ice shavings while resurfacing the rink. As a hog caller yelled, sue at the corner of the ice, the hydraulic jaws of the Zamboni opened up to release the mascot. For more than a minute, as the call continued, the only part of Madron visible in the spotlight were his feet and legs, which were shaking. The public address announcer attempted to alleviate any concerns of the 7,079 fans, characterizing the aborted unveiling as a sneak preview and hinting that the mascot would return later in the game. EMS personnel struggled to get Madrin out of his costume. Madrin appeared frightened, sweating profusely, and trembling uncontrollably as emergency workers tried to strap him onto a stretcher. Scott Mishaw from then the Greensboro News and Record. All right, again, Madrin would be okay. He reached a financial settlement with the Hurricanes and never did perform his mascot duties. So, all is well on that front. But what about in real time? So let's start the evening with John Forsland, then the Hurricanes TV voice, who takes us behind the scenes before the event even began. Detroit was the opponent. And the great Detroit Red Wings, led by the legendary Scotty Bowman, were in town for a preseason game. And we had a press conference that night to announce our TV deal. And we did it, and, and, the, and Scotty went to it because he had his pregame meal in the press room, and then he just went in to eavesdrop. And we had a press conference announcing something that was ridiculous, in my opinion, 29 games. So that was the beginning of the night. Then we knew this mascot was making its debut, but... The team never shared with us what they had in store. This was a big surprise. So Mark Roberts, uh, people know here in the Raleigh area, local media personality, was the public address announcer. Um, I, I still to this day don't know who Stormy was. Um, the late Donnie McMillan, our ice crew guy, guru, came down from Hartford, was the driver of the Zamboni. And our promotions team hired... At the time, I believe that we were told the oldest pig caller in the state of North Carolina to stand in the, the far corner of the building as we looked at it from the press box. So the far 
Um, to our left, in the far corner, Zamboni Vom, he was brought out in his 90s to do a pig call. And the house lights were brought down, and this was just before the opening face-off. The teams weren't on the ice yet, I don't believe. And the smoke show started, you know, with the Zamboni coming out to center ice. And we had no idea what was happening here. We had no idea what the mascot was going to look like. This guy started with the suey, suey. I'm going to guess that I have your attention at this point. Mark Roberts is one of the most recognizable media personalities in the Triangle and has been for a number of years. Not only was he a staple at WRAL News at the time, he's also the host of the very popular high school quiz show Brain Game. But he was the first public address announcer ever for the Hurricanes. So it was his job to present the new mascot to the masses. They hired Roby Morgan. He had just been on Letterman. I just he, he was a hog caller. He was from Sampson County. Oh. I mean, seriously, he was a, and they, they were into it this much. And we worked out this hokey back and forth script. And uh, that's so so that night, the big day starts right before they decided to do this. Somebody in the game day staff said we toss a chunk of dry ice in there. When they open up the Zam, there's going to be a little poof of smoke. That'll be really cool. We're like, neato. <laughs> so, anyway, so Phil goes in the Zam with the chunk of dry ice. The program begins. They dim the lights. It's a packed house at the Greensboro Coliseum. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here to unveil the newest mascot. We, we do the back and forth. They slowly roll the Zam out. They spotlight it. Roby Morgan just, he, they, they hit the lights. Sweet! He does the full-on hog call. I mean, it's ringing through the Greensboro Coliseum. You know, Ozzy Osbourne speakers, you know, it's just a And people are kind of getting into it, and the Zam's coming out slowly. And so I start hitting the script. I'm like, hey, that's Roby Morgan, the famous hog caller. What are you doing here, Roby? Well, Mr. Announcer, I understand that we are going to unveil the new mascot tonight. Okay, well, let's do it, shall we? Back to John Forslund. And I will do an impersonation of Mark Roberts, and I, I don't mean to offend him, but this is my impersonation of Mark Roberts. I hope it's flattering, and I'll do one of Chuck, too, in this story, because I was on the radio with Chuck, and this was during our pregame show. And Mark Roberts says, ladies and gentlemen, your new mascot will be debuted at Center Eyes. Please welcome Stormy. The Zam stops at dead center, and uh, they lift the top of the Zamboni and the, the dry ice machines going and the smoke's coming out. And the guy's in the corner, sue sue and nothing's happening. And Donnie McMillan's just sitting behind the wheel of Zamboni, just sitting there, no no worries. And the smoke is coming out, sue sue Mark again, ladies and gentlemen, stormy! John was sitting in that day with Hall of Fame radio voice Chuck Caton, who also recalled the moment. But I'll never forget my good friend Ken Cal, the radio voice of the Detroit Red Wings, who did not do the game that night. And uh, he's sitting next to me. We're on the air in the pregame show, and I'm trying to describe what's going on with the mascot who was inside the Zamboni with dry ice uh, asphyxiating himself, as it turned out. And... Ken Cal is mouthing to me, he's going to die. You know, he's, he's, he's whispering that to me because he knows I'm on the air. And I'm thinking, what in the heck are we gotten into here? We continue the story with Mark Roberts. And so they open up the Zam, and uh, inside the Zam, uh, people know the lovely Stormy outfit. 
two furry skated legs are going like this. They're 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 gyrating back and forth. He's like kicking like he's he's swimming or something like that when he opens up the Zam. And I'm going, whoa, that must be, you know, I guess he's really getting into us. He's gonna go do a double axle out there or something like that. It's a seizure. Obviously, he has not control of his body. He's he's uh of course we have calm, we have mm-hmm. earpieces. The game day guy, uh, Jason, I remember him well, <laughs> comes over. What's going on? I don't know. <laughs> Fix it. Okay. And so these infamous words came out of my mouth. Clunk, open up the speaker at the Greensboro Coliseum. Come on out, hog. Nothing. Zam driver jumps down off the Zam, looks up underneath, looks back at me, goes, you know, has, makes the cutoff sign, shaking his head, jumps on the Zam, throws it in reverse. He's going, I've never seen the Zam go that fast in reverse. And it's it's like ahead of the spotlight. The spotlight's trying to catch up to it. And and so anyway, so the guy comes over, clunk, he goes, he goes, what just happened? And he goes, smooth it over. And I go, clunk. And I go, fans, that was just a sneak preview. We'll be bringing Stormy back later. Jeff Gravely, a colleague of Robert's at TV5, was eagerly anticipating the reveal. I was interested to see what the mascot was going to be, but I was also interested because Mark Roberts had talked so much about the unveiling because he was doing the PA and he was going to you know, be a part of the show, so to speak, of the unveiling. Well, Mark, what's it going to be? I can't tell you. <laughs> what's it going to be? I can't tell you. Just watch. There was this huge buildup of just watch this. This is going to be great. And I remember when they, that Zamboni opened up and there is a pig being roasted on the Zamboni. The ultimate pig picking is what it was. And you know, you didn't know whether to laugh and, and, and the way Mark played it off is, oh, this is just part of the, the gig. This is this is part of the plan. Well then you find out, no it wasn't. The guy had a seizure. Again, John Forsland. So Donnie then looks into the uh the Zamboni and he then looks over at Mark Roberts and kind of gives a gesture like Cut this thing off. This isn't good. And Mark does it again. Ladies and gentlemen, Stormy. He says it again. He doesn't see. So at this time, Chuck and I are talking back and forth. A guy named Ken Cal still is the radio voice of the Red Wings. He's right next to us or maybe below us in the press box. I forget how it's set up, but close enough to turn around and kind of shrug his shoulders like, you know, you guys know what's what's going on here. Chuck. Mutes his microphone in mid-sentence and says to me, is the guy dead? And I start laughing. So now I mute my microphone because I'm hysterical. Chuck's got his muted. There's dead air on the pregame. You can hear this going on in the background. Then Chuck comes in with, well, they're debuting the mascot here tonight, something called Stormy, but we haven't seen it yet, John. And, you know, and, and I got to somehow fill in the blanks. So anyway, immediately the Zamboni does a button hook, uh, turns around, and Donnie floors the thing. And now they're going fat. Now we know something's wrong. Mark Roberts th- tries to think on his feet and says, ladies and gentlemen, Stormy will be back at the first intermission which never happened, it goes down to the, the end zone where the Zam leaves, and everybody, the EMTs now are coming, and our PR guy is Chris Brown at the time, and he ran down there. The pig collar never stopped. During all of this, he still, suey, suey, and they had to grab him and take him off. Back to Jeff Gravely, who talks about how it was sort of used against the team. The great unveiling of 
Stormy the pig, the mascot, boss hog, so to speak. It literally got roasted nationally by every media outlet out there. And again, it was an opportunity for the doubters to have a chuckle and laugh and say, this is a great indication of what it's going to be like in this market. It ain't going to work. And I think they use that as a visual of to back up what they were feeling that this ain't going to work in Raleigh, North Carolina. But actually it did. And Stormy rose to the occasion and has been a part of so many big celebrations. Mark Roberts ends the night with a first of sorts. And the, the classic was they have to he's he's out, man. They, they the rescue guys there at the game to help players lift him out, put him on a gurney. And that that big furry head is kind of cocked to the side and they lift him out. And it just looked like Stormy was out on a rough uh, drinking night or something like yeah. that. And that was the picture in the NNO the next day. I go, I'm on the way home. My wife calls. She says, man, you're, you're all over ESPN. I'm like, cool. I've never been on ESPN. <laughs> But it's not cool. I come home. I'm the top of the hour tease th- the whole night. I hear that, you know, because they they repeat that thing, and I hear this, "Come on out, hog." <laughs> That's my voice. And then they show the legs kicking, and they said, you know, incident in Carolina. <laughs> Sports Illustrated wrote it up and said uh, and mentioned it and said, "Is this a harbinger of hockey in the South?" Again, Phil Madrin was fine. And Stormy remains one of the great mascots in all of team sports. Also one of the greats, the uniforms of the old Hartford Whalers, which were taken out of mothballs during the first full season under new owner Tom Dundon. We'll hit the return of the whale after the break. Adam Gold in studio with Sammy Hanna, owner and operator of the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. Thanks for coming over. You brought a friend with you. I did, Adam. I brought Jeff Monsignor here with me today. It's great to have Jeff continue to be a part of the Aluminum Company. Obviously, took over the company from his father in 1984, and me and him had a great time growing the company through all those years, and now we're going to continue the legacy of the Aluminum Company with myself, Ryan, all the salesmen that have continued on with the company, Dallas Fruel, Danny Newman, Patrick Day, John Alexander, Jeff Hoffman, and my children are now starting with the company. Oh, my gosh. So we've got a new generation kicking off with the aluminum company to continue on the legacy. So, you, Sammy. Get in here, Jeff. Uh, can I say something? Please. Just, I'm going to elbow him out of the way. If you're thinking about exterior home improvements, give the aluminum company a call. Sammy has done an unbelievable, fantastic job. It makes me proud that I was able to exit the company and somebody was able to take it over to keep up the high standards that I started. So I'm very proud of Sammy as well. You guys are amazing. Customer service is the best thing you guys do. 800-672-4348. Aluminum company.com the hurricanes left hartford in the spring of 1997 and left everything behind in the nutmeg state it was the desire of owner peter carmanos to start fresh in north carolina and not refer at all to the franchise's original roots but on december 23rd for the first time in 21 years the whalers made a return well their uniforms did In a 5-3 win over, you guessed it, the Boston Bruins, the Hurricanes morphed back into the Whalers, something that didn't really sit well with former radio voice Chuck Caton. I have very mixed feelings about that, and I've been very uh, adamant uh, about my thoughts on that. I think that uh, in some ways it was good, and in some ways it was insulting, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't think that... uh, people could relate 
I mean, I was looking for a reason for this to happen. And to me, if you're going to have a Whalers night, the first thing you do is you bring arguably, well, no, not even arguably, the best player for the, this organization back to be part of it. And he wasn't. He was actually fired as a yes. general manager. So I think that it loses its credibility uh, in that way. And I just didn't think it was a, it was a good thing to do uh, at the beginning. John Forsland, who, like Caton, has roots going all the way back to Hartford, wasn't a fan right off the bat. Really angry at first because I thought it was a money grab. I said, Tom's smart. Um, he knows the, the Jersey sales are strong. They're strong in New York at the NHL store. This thing has, you know, people love retro stuff. The colors are striking. The old colors, the green and the, the blue, silver, uh, the newer colors when we left, both both equate well. But I thought it was, okay, why is he doing this? He's doing it so that, you know, the, the barrier had been lifted. Peter didn't want it anywhere near the franchise. And when we first got here, we couldn't even reference the Whalers, like in terms of records and things. He got really upset over things like that. So he had that that bias, which restricted it. But then Tom, very smartly, brought that stuff into the team store and it sold. So I thought, well, he's using it, which is his right as an owner. But then I didn't realize how great it would be. Mark Anderson, the president of the Hartford Whalers Booster Club. I love it. L-O-V-E, love it. And the reason I love it is it feels like for one night a year, even though it's 700 miles away, it feels like for one night a year we have our team back. They're not playing in Hartford, no. But you see the green uniforms on the ice. They play brass bananas after goals. All of that. They, it for one night, it feels like it felt 25 years ago or 30 years ago. And I love the publicity. It keeps, it keeps the Whaler's name and the Whaler's heritage and the Whaler's legacy in everybody's mind. So all of those reasons make me happy that they do it. I wish they would do it more. But one, one night a season is enough. Well, in that first year, the Canes wore them a second time. This one in Boston in March. And longtime Hartford sportscaster Rich Coppola was on hand. There were a lot of Whalers fans there. There was, uh, you know, the Bruins were smart. They kind of capitalized, had some shirts and pucks and stuff with Whalers, Bruins logos and the like. And, you know, the reaction on social media and stuff is some people were for it. Other people were against it. Some people were saying if they're going to wear them, they should play, you know, a game in Hartford, you know, regular season game in Hartford every year, which, you know, we know that that's not going to happen. Glenn Wesley played for both the Bruins and the Whalers before winning the Stanley Cup with the Hurricanes. I'll be honest with you, Adam, I was not happy with it that the Hurricanes did bring it back because... For me, there's still a lot of hurt there for the Whalers fans that, you know, losing the team. And, and I think if everybody was to watch the last game that we ever played there, there was a lot of tears. There was a lot of upset people that, that uh, you know, lost the sports franchise that had a lot of tradition. 
being downtown there, and, and there was a lot of local businesses, and they really suffered there. And, you know, for me, is and, and I think everybody's said from the past, I, I sent I sent a tweet out, and, and I said the best thing that they could do for the franchise was, was to play an outdoor game somewhere in the Hartford area, just to pay tribute to all the, all the fans and all the, all the local businesses that I think deserve another opportunity just to be able to see the Whalers jersey, you know, come back. I, I think I would be really excited to see that happen uh, against a, a Boston or a, or a New York Rangers rivalry game. And, and uh, that, that would be fantastic for the game. Former Whalers and Hurricanes media relations director, Chris Brown. Let's be honest, it's one of the best uniforms ever. It's, you know, every team has red, white, and blue in it at some level, right? So to have green and blue and white is tremendous to start with. It's, it's a really cool logo. And, and so I'm all for what the fans want and what makes it cool for the fans. And, and obviously, you know, if the team can generate more money, then, you know, hopefully they, they can be successful and, and that's important. But again, I, that's why I always have the mixed emotions about it. If, if the fans enjoy it, that's great. But it, it still, it brings me back to that day, you know, when it was, when it was over. John Forsland. And then once I, um, Bob Gorman, the equipment manager and Skip Cunningham showed me the stuff. I was like, wow, this is going to be great. And then as we got closer to it, I saw some of the reactions up north. Some of the reactions were anger, but most of it was good. And I was like, this is going to be great. And then the way it rolled out that first night, it was it was really it was really something special. So I'm I'm glad they did it now. As I as I look at it, I'm I'm glad they did it because it uh, it was great to go into Boston with those colors on. Um, and it was so real, and the moment for many of us was so real that it kind of took me back, believe it or not, to a point where I had a struggle when I saw 27 in green, I thought of Scott Young. And so it, it became interesting, and I called them the Whalers once uh, going to break um, because it's just out of habit, but they didn't do it ever again. But I think it's a great thing. Chuck Hayton. Now it looks like it's gained some traction, mm-hmm. probably has, and I think it's got its place. So it's it's not my position to worry about things like this. But to me, my initial uh, argument was, why are we doing this? Why what? Why is the organization doing this? Uh, and I think that uh, it it just didn't sit well with me, especially that first year. You might get me to change my mind twenty years from now, but right now, no. Chuck sounds like he might be persuaded. But as Hartford TV man Rich Coppola notes, this isn't a bipartisan issue. There was no gray area. It was either uh, you were really for it and loved the idea, or you absolutely hated the idea. And there were people, as I'm sure you know, even within um, the Hurricanes organization who had uh, Hartford ties who were not too thrilled about, about them wearing the Whalers' colors. ESPN's John Buchagross, a guy who appreciates a good look, takes a larger view of things. Yeah, it's a great one. Yeah, it's kind of dated, which make, which I think makes add some of its appeal. It has that kind of seventies look, and then good for Carolina to kind of. I don't, they don't have to do that. I mean, you know, the, the Winnipeg Jets aren't wearing Thrashers jerseys once a year, so uh, I don't think they have to. But I think they they know it's a popular logo. It still sells. I'm sure there was a marketing aspect to that, obviously. 
um, sell some jerseys. I don't know how that works. And I, I thought it was pretty cool. And it, it, it is kind of, like I said, it's a real plucky little cool part of hockey history. It's why, you know, it, that's one of the cool parts about being a hockey fan is there's kind of stuff like that. You know, the Whaler uniform, the brass bonanza. There's almost like a little, you know, slap shot movie quality to being a hockey fan um, throughout its history. You know, whether you go back to the, you know, the Islanders owner, John Spanos, buying a team with no money or this or Jim Schoenfield having another donut or high school referees refereeing an NHL game when they go on. Just, there's so much that gong show funny, almost you know, minor league quality to it in some ways. And so it's, I think it's kind of cool that the, that the Hurricanes did that and kind of bring some of that fun, that real pure fun. And, uh, and I think, you know, in a, in a kind of obtuse way that, the, that those Whaler uniforms showing up again brings us back to that time. They'll be back again this year. Whalers Booster Club boss, Mark Anderson. It's funny. I saw the promotional schedule. They're doing it this year on March 26th. Now, I'm sure this is coincidence. I'm sure they didn't set it up this way. March 26th was the day they announced they were leaving Hartford. <laughs> it, it, it does come against the Boston Bruins again, I believe. But and it, Coincidentally, it comes against the Bruins. But the fact that it fell right on March, it's falling on March 26th. When I saw that, I went, holy, I am sure it's coincidence. I am positive it's coincidence. But that was what I thought of. I went, oh, my God. <laughs> March 26th, they're going to do it March 26th. It's good that they're doing it against the Bruins because now I can watch it. <laughs> I, like I said, I'm in the minority. I love it. I, I love that they do it, and I appreciate that they do it. A look at why we're celebrating 25 seasons of Hurricanes hockey. A sneak peek at Episode 5, how this all happened after the break. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. After 17 NHL seasons in Hartford, the Whalers were on the move. Owner Peter Carmanos, who only recently bought the team, had decided to leave Connecticut. Only question was where. Throughout this whole ordeal, the cities mentioned were Columbus, Minneapolis, Las Vegas, Nashville, and of course, Raleigh. So how did the triangle win the sweepstakes? Well, it wasn't the responsibility of one man. But Steve Stroud was the executive director of the Centennial Authority, the group in charge of planning for and constructing the proposed arena in Raleigh. And he started the pursuit after watching TV. ESPN was interviewing Peter Clowns. He was in a very serious debate with the governor of Connecticut about about that facility up there and and told him he was going to move the whalers if, if he didn't get some relief. Where would you go? And he mentioned three places. He mentioned Columbus, Nashville, Tennessee, and Raleigh, North Carolina. The next morning, I called his office in Detroit and talked my way to his personal secretary. And she says, uh, 
do you have an appointment with Mr. Kamanis? I said, no, ma'am, I'm in North Carolina. She said, I mean, do you have a phone appointment? He doesn't speak with anybody over the telephone unless they have a previous appointment agreed to. Here's what I would ask you to do. He said last night <clears throat> that he was going to consider Raleigh, North Carolina for relocation uh, for the hard for players. And I'm chairman of the committee that's, uh, that's trying to build a new arena there. And that's what I want to talk to him about. It. And I, I think that he might be interested. We've been working on this some time. And um, personally, for me, it's been uh, probably 15 years. And I'd love to talk to him about it if he'd like to talk. I said, if you could be so kind as to take my name and number and tell him why I call, and I'd, I'd love to hear from him and talk to him about our situation in Raleigh. She agreed to do that. In about two hours, I got a call. The Canes 25th Anniversary Podcast Series is part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Thanks to our friends at the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. With special assistance from Rusty Helser, I'm Adam Gold. See you next time. You've been listening to the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. The Canes Corner Podcast is a part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. 